This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Pokemon Waffles. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each week we start with analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive on a question or category in one of those episodes. And we finish with a quiz. And uh, we've got a special guest joining us this week for the deep dive and quiz portions. Um, And she's also going to come in when we start talking about Friday. Uh, But we will introduce her at that time. Maybe we should leave them in in suspense until then. Ooh, yeah. It'll probably be in the description, won't it? (laughs) Probably, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to bury the lead too much on that one. Before we get there, we have... On Monday, March 9th, the contestants Chloe Arnett, a preschool teacher from Lakeview, Alabama, Michael Campanelli, an attorney from Greenlawn, New York, and Paul Trifoletti, an attorney from Athens, Georgia, whose three-day cash winnings total $61,400. And the categories for the Jeopardy round are Welcome to Five Authors, Here's Our Men, You, can i start you with some drinks we have a few specials that's a good choice and how about desert those were fun categories those were fun categories fittingly for a for a potent potable <laughs> podcast i i uh i ran the can i start you with some drinks category yeah and they also started there and did that whole category first mm-hmm. but yes I also ran it, which uh, cocktails are not my, uh, not usually my strongest category, mm. but yeah. but yeah, nice. Well, nice work. Thanks. I can't stand Bloody Marys. I think we've talked, have we talked about this? No, we have not. What? Oh, I, I can't, I, j- I just don't like spicy drinks. Oh. Like a drink to me should not. Yeah, I don't even really like hot as in like temperature hot drinks. Like occasionally I'll drink hot tea for a purpose. I've trained myself to drink hot coffee in the morning just because that's more convenient than like making the coffee and then trying to ice it and trying to get the balance and like all that stuff. I just drink it. But overall, really, I want my drinks to be cool and refreshing, not challenging. <laughs> I, I'm flabbergasted. I love hot drinks, both temperature wise and spice wise. No man, like I'm 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 the person who like dead of winter, you know, negative twenty degrees will get an iced coffee from Starbucks. Huh. Yeah. Okay, alright. I guess we don't have to cancel the podcast, but wow. I mean it's a good thing that we are distanced though. <laughs> we find the first daily double in the welcome to five authors category at the eight hundred dollar level. Chloe finds it and makes it a true daily double with her $2,200. She's at half of Paul's score. He has $4,400. Michael's at negative $600. And she gets the clue. Not only was she talented enough to somehow write another person's autobiography, she gave us three lives in 1909. Um, She doesn't know let some time go by eventually says who is virginia wolf um that's gertrude stein 
referring to the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. I don't know how you say that. Uh, I think it's Toklas. Toklas? That's how I've always heard it. Yeah. Yes. Which was the name of her lover, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of not knowing how to pronounce things, at the $1,000 level, we have, as well as penning Black Panther comics for Marvel, this African-American writer topped the bestseller list with The Water Dancer. That is Ta-Nehisi Coates, but I'm not sure anybody there knew how to pronounce his name. But I once heard him talking on the radio about the fact that his first name is pronounced Ta-Nehisi, so I'm confident, pretty confident. Hey. Yeah. Well, you know... That's (laughs) That's <laughs> the person whose name it is is the person you should trust. Yep. That's right. I've I can't believe that I have ever had to have an argument with people about that, but more than that the number of times in my life that I've had to have had an argument with somebody about pronunciation of a name mm-hmm. when I'm when I have to say like this is how that person pronounces their own name. Mm-hmm. You can't tell them it's wrong. Like, what? You, you, can't, you can't say that they're pronouncing it wrong when it's their own name. That's true. Yeah. You might be able to tell them that their pronunciation is non-traditional, which they've probably heard, you know, a few thousand times, if that is right. in fact the case. But, but So you shouldn't. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Paul is in a strong lead with 8,600. He's a really solid player. Uh, Michael is in third place with 800. Chloe's in the middle with 3,200. So we get the double Jeopardy categories. Be still my art. Cosmos. Possible worlds. Cuba before Fidel. Playing the singer on film. You're showing your age. And from rags to riches. Uh, That category is for words that come between rags and riches in the dictionary. Daily Double number two showed up pretty early in the round at pick number two. It's at the $800 level in the Cuba Before Fidel category. Paul found it. He wagered 2500 of his 9000 uh, He was obviously this clue number two. We just recapped the scores, but he was strongly in the lead over Chloe at 3200 And Michael was out of the red, so that that's nice. The clue is, on January 25th, 1898. This U.S. battleship arrived in Havana Harbor for a friendly visit. Three weeks later, it blew up. And he seemed to know it pretty quickly. That is the Maine. The USS Maine. The final Daily Double is the 22nd pick of the round. It's at the $1,600 level in the You're Showing Your Age category. Paul finds it and wagers 1500 of his 17,100. At that point, Michael has 7,600 and Chloe has 9,600. That'll put him almost in a lock if he's right. The clue is there's speed dating, online dating, and this method developed in 1946 that can tell archeologists an artifact's age. Um, And he correctly responds, what is carbon dating? Not sure it's not sure carbon dating has ever been paired with speed dating in a sense before. <laughs> if you have to use both at the same time, then I feel like you've done something wrong. I did terribly on the playing the singer on film category. Oh. Yeah. I did fairly well. I can never remember Patsy Klein. Mm. I know she I know she exists and I know my dad loves her music. 
but I just can't like I can't place her in reality. Mm. But in the Runaways, wasn't uh wasn't Jackie Fox in the Runaways? Oh, former Jeopardy champion Jackie Fox. Oh, I'm sorry that just that just clicked in my brain. Yes, right? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Pretty <laughs> yep. sure she was the bassist. All right. right. Uh, yeah, she no, totally... I, think, I think that's right. All right. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round. Paul is in a commanding lead at 21,000, but it is not a runaway because Chloe is at 11,200 and Michael is at 10,800. And they get the category religion. And the clue is these two countries that border each other are second and third in worldwide population of Muslims. Michael responds, what are Pakistan and India? which is correct, and he has wagered $10,795, so nearly pretty much an all-in. Uh, so he nearly doubles up his score. Chloe writes, what are Egypt and Libya, which is incorrect, and she wagered uh, 11000 so she drops down to 200 And Paul uh, is correct with what are India and Pakistan, and he made a cover bet of fourteen hundred and one dollars so he wins again becoming a four-day champion mm-hmm. india and pakistan uh was my guess but i was not confident i foolishly forgot that there were muslims in india for that clue mm. <laughs> i was i was stuck on indonesia because i know it has a high population and a lot of muslims so yes. I, my brain was just stuck on like oh okay so what country that borders indonesia would be that yeah which how do is you... obviously untrue right is indonesia the number one i think indonesia might it, be I, number one i th- i think it is which but I, I couldn't my brain just locked onto indonesia and was like well that must be one of them mm-hmm. it's tricky because you need to balance proportion mm-hmm. of muslims in a country with the overall population of the country right yeah uh, so paul is our champion going into tuesday uh, we get the contestants Lacey Davies, a casting assistant from New York, New York. Mark Nasielski, an electrical engineering student from Los Angeles, California. And Paul Tripoletti, an attorney from Athens, Georgia, whose four-day cash winnings total $83,801. And we get the categories Let There Be Light, Secondary Titles, You're in My House, Poet Paris, Football, which Alex um, referred again to the football category where they were all triple stumpers um, (laughs) and explains that these will be questions about referee signals where Alex will give the signals himself. Uh, And then student word list. I know I have made it clear my opinion and disdain for poetry categories, Mm. but I actually did all right on this one. Oh, I got I got the I got I got three of them. And uh, one one went unplayed, so you got 75% of them. That's right. Solid C. The You're in My House category uh, I thought was fun because it was, I mean, it's basically like, whose famous mansion is this? But the way that they, the way that they phrased it, I think, was enjoyable. Maybe it's because of where I live, but the uh, $1,000 clue was an insta-get for me. Uh, even though it was a triple stumper in the game. So the $1,000 clue was the Beehive House, 
home to this religious leader until 1877. And that is Brigham Young, mm-hmm. which the state of Utah is uh, called the Beehive State. Mm-hmm. And that refers to, or at least it is said that that refers to the industriousness of the Mormons when they settled there, that it, they operated like a beehive. Hmm. Um, so that's where that comes from. Yeah. If you're able to get to beehive plus religious leader equals Mormons, you still have to know that it was Brigham Young by the time they got to Utah, not Joseph Smith. Yes, but yeah. Joseph Smith, well, I mean, yeah, You, if you know, yeah, that's true. If you know it, you know it, and if you don't, you don't. Um, yeah. Brigham Young was the one who brought them to Utah. J- Joseph Smith was uh, had, had been died killed. by that point. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he had been killed before that, which I'm sure Anaki Garcia or any of our other Latter Day Saints friends could educate mm-hmm. us far more deeply than I could. Yeah, but but yeah, it's a pretty important uh, pretty important part of our our culture out here in the mountain Mountain West. Mm-hmm. So yeah. going back to the poet pre category, the Daily Double shows up at the six hundred dollar level. Uh, and this also might be because of where I live, uh, but this was also an instigate for me. Mark finds it, and uh, he wagers 2400 which at that point is a true daily double. Paul is at zero, and Lacey is at 600 uh, So Mark has taken a lead, and he's looking to capitalize on that. The clue is, Catherine Lee Bates's book containing this patriotic song used similar language about Mont Blanc. Oh, beautiful beyond all dream. And that is America the Beautiful, which was uh, penned atop Pike's Peak, mm-hmm. which oh. is just, just a little uh, little south of here. Cool. Yeah. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Mark is in a solid lead with 8,200, and Paul is trailing with 1,800. Lacey's in third place. She has negative 200, so she picks first from these categories. What is that? The comics. She's a goddess. The end of the emperor. Burr, it's cold out there. And let me in. Each correct response will begin with I-N. We get the second daily double pretty early in the round as the fourth pick. Mark finds it and wagers 3,200 of his 7,800. Paul has 3,000 at that point, and Lacey has dropped more to negative 1,400. He gets the clue, Claudius's death in 54 AD was due to this type of foul play, very common in the TV miniseries I, Claudius, and he correctly responds, what is poisoning? Yeah, I didn't know that Claudius died that way, but poisoning was the only thing that came to mind, I think because of Hamlet. Hmm, yeah. Claudius is Hamlet's uncle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. I think and so. And he uses poison as well. Yeah. So, yep. so I guess they're, I guess Shakespeare connected something to history, which is weird. Hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I feel like Caligula has been coming up all the time. Has Caligula yeah. been coming up all the time? Uh, it, we had... it, I also had that feeling because I, I had no idea what, you know, the clue that you're going to talk about was. But the only guess I had was Caligula. Yeah. Because it's been coming up a lot. Yeah, it was the $1,200 clue. Tyrannical Tiberius was smothered in 37 AD, but was followed by this equally infamous successor who also needed killing. 
I don't know what kind of hint is supposed to be hidden in the apostrophe instead of a G and killing. Maybe somebody can tell me. But yeah, for me, I mean, infamous pointed toward Caligula for me. Um, infamous, I would I would think of either Caligula or Nero, who was in one of the wrong guesses mm-hmm. before Paul finally got it correct. So Daily Double number three uh, was pick number 26. It's at the $1,600 level in Burr. It's cold out there. Mark found it, and he wagered 2000 of his 17000 So he was almost, almost reaching that lockout status, but not quite. He was looking to get there. The clue is, in 1954, an historic contiguous USA low temperature of negative 70 was recorded near Rogers Pass in this fourth largest state. Uh, And he took, you know, he obviously went through the map (laughs) as well as he could uh, with his time, but he ended up guessing what is New York, and the correct response is Montana. Mm -hmm. Which led me to wonder, what's the third largest state? Is it Alaska, Texas, California, Montana? Is California that big? I don't know. Does it cover that? I mean, I was wondering because it's like, well, it's got to be California or Nevada. I don't. I can't imagine any other state being uh-huh. that large. Alaska, Texas, California, Montana says the Google. There it is. <laughs> well, the Google never lies. So mm-hmm. never. There we go. Yeah, you're yeah. right. So he gets it wrong and drops down uh, to fifteen thousand. All right, so going into Final Jeopardy, Paul is trailing this time with 13,000. Mark is in the lead with 16,600. Lacey has made it back up above the zero to 1,000, so she does get to participate in Final Jeopardy, where we have the category 19th Century Plays. And the clue is, from the title of a British set comedy, it completes the final line, I've now realized for the first time in my life the vital dot 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 so the the contestants are supposed to come up with the title which completes the final line and uh lacy gets it correct she's wagered everything and uh responds what is the importance of being earnest it's a great play paul also has it correct with a ten thousand dollar wager probably high for this situation yeah but it works for him uh, because Mark has wagered 9,401, a cover bet, but didn't come up with the importance of being earnest. He responds, what is reason for being? Which is, gosh, I think that's a novel or something. It's a reasonable response. If sure. Fits the quote. Yeah. So uh, Paul is our champion with $23,000. Yeah, so now he's a five-day champ, putting himself on that Tournament of Champions shortlist that's right we're gonna probably see him coming back yeah the importance of being earnest is what i i went with but it ended up i don't know it threw me off it threw me off i kept thinking like that can't that can't be it because that final line if you if you plug in the importance of being earnest then the line is i've now realized for the first time in my life the vital vital, importance importance. (laughs) right and it kept that kept like you know that kept making me say, no, it's got to be something else. It's got to be something else. But yeah, 
I yeah. that was the only one that could that came to mind that was like could even remotely make sense to me. So mm-hmm. that's that's what I went with. Yeah, and that's the. Uh, that's the first one of the of the Ernest movies, right? Like before Ernest goes to camp and Ernest goes to space and all that. Right? Oh, um, sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, we'll go yeah. with that. All right. Or maybe, or maybe a prequel. You know. Mm, yes, a prequel to the yes. Yeah. 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 All right. So now that we've now that we've cleared up that important uh, cinematic and literary uh, question. We get to Wednesday, March 11th, uh, and we have the contestants Lori Amster-Burton, a help desk specialist from Seattle, Washington, Jessica Babbitt, a personal stylist from Austin, Texas, and Paul Trifoletti, an attorney from Athens, Georgia, whose five-day winnings now total $106,801. And the Jeopardy round categories are Put That Singer's Name on a Post Office, Home Decor Basics, punny job loss reasons their final novel and they're asking for the author when they give the the novel gold rush and requiem for a skyline they went through the requiem for a skyline category top to bottom first that was that was an entry interesting like an, an, an interesting concept for a category yeah with uh sort of famous buildings that have been demolished right mm-hmm. yeah yeah the first daily double was there as the fourth pick at the $800 level paul found it he had $600 at that point and made it a true daily double um jessica and lori both had zero and he had a video clue or a, an image and the the clue was northwestern university's old prentice women's hospital uh which they showed a picture of an example of brutalist architecture was demoed in 2013-2014 in this big city. And I think that picture really helped there. He correctly responded, what is Chicago? Mm-hmm. I guess knowing Northwestern University also is in Chicago also would help. Sure. Yeah, but I remember seeing the pick up picture and thinking, oh, that looks like Chicago. Mm-hmm. We talked about the mystery of Edwin Drood, what, like last week? And then it came up in the their final novel category. At yes. the two hundred dollar level. Yeah, and the two people that I went back and forth between were both uh, guests there, mm-hmm. <laughs> Poe and Dickens. I think I think those two authors are uh, connected on the mystery of Edwin Drood because Poe is often, like I talked about in the deep dive, considered like the first author of the like procedural mystery story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the mystery of Edwin Drood often is is considered part of that like that genre or that category, and so other you know uh, as far as other authors also writing this kind of story around that time period, a lot of people also look to the mystery of Edwin Drood. Mm-hmm. So I see how those two are connected. Yeah, at the thousand dollar level in that same category, uh, we had "You Can't Go Home Again." Um, which is uh, the last novel of Thomas Wolfe. That's Thomas Wolfe of, like, Look Homeward Angel, not to be confused with Tom Wolfe, the author of... That's A Boy's Life, isn't it? Oh, I was thinking of The Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Who am I yeah. thinking of? Way back in freshman year of college, I um, did, like, a 
I wrote an an essay uh, with a little bit of like original like research um, about a Thomas Wolfe short story, um, and actually got like an honorable mention from the Thomas Wolfe Society. My my, uh, nice. my TA encouraged me to submit it to a, a contest that they were having. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I was thinking of Tobias Wolfe. Oh right, okay, yep. Yet a third person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Paul is leading with 5,600. Jessica has 600 and Lori has 4,000. And we get the categories. Name that insect. A year ending in zero. Island nations. Faux paws, um, that's uh, spelled F-O-E and P-A-S. People and should be in the forest. Each correct response will end with the letters T-R-Y pronounced tree. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I guess any gimmick can work for a wordplay category. Yeah, why not? I don't know. (laughs) I, I kind of had fun with it. Um, no, it was like, yeah. I liked the clues. I don't have an issue with yeah. it. It's just every time they have a, a new or different, you know, gimmick, I'm always like, huh, we'll see how that works. Yep. Daily Double number two shows up in the category a year ending in zero at the $1,200 level. Lori finds it and she wagers 3000 of her 3600 which would put her in second place. She's currently behind uh, Paul at 6,400 and Jessica at 8,600. The clue is the Environmental Protection Agency was established. And she correctly identifies that that was 1970. I thought the whole year ending in zero category was like a little trickier than you would expect. It feels like it should be a snap, but I think somehow... Somehow they managed to uh, find events where you, that would make you go, oh, was it, was it 1970? What could, could have been 1980? You know, could have been like, uh, so, you know, which is what mm-hmm. I was doing when she gave the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we should note that Jessica, who came in in third place going into Double Jeopardy, made a really strong push through the whole first part of the round and then ended up uncovering the third Daily Double, which is in the 1600 level of island nations she wagered 2500 of her 13400 so she's picked up like $13,000 so far in double jeopardy that's that's a lot at this point Lori has 7000 Paul has 6400 and she gets the clue religion is important in Tonga around one third of the population is of this Christian denomination they call free Wesleyan Jessica doesn't know. Um, the correct response there is Methodist. Wesleyan should point you to John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. But she is yep. in such a solid lead at that point that she drops to still in the lead. She holds on to that lead going into Final Jeopardy. So she has 11,700. Paul is right behind at 11,200, and Lori is at 7,000. So it is a closer game than we've seen uh, with Paul, especially with him going in in second place. They get the category book words, 
and The Clue, a 1964 essay coined this two-word term for, quote, artistically serious, quote, comic books, and endorsed it over, quote, illustories and pictofiction. Laurie wagered a mere 200, hoping that both Paul and Jessica would get it wrong and wager, wager enough to, you know, get past each other, I think. She correctly responds, what is graphic novels? Paul, who wagered 11,100, incorrectly responded, what is pop art? So he drops down to 100. And Jessica uh, responded correctly, what are graphic novels? With a bet of 11,698. Not certain about that wager. To, to make a cover bet at that point, she basically needed to bet everything anyway. Yeah, I so. mean, yeah, at that point, you're going to, it. you'll make the cover bet, it will be almost everything. You'll drop down to almost nothing. I think, you know, there's something, right. you know, like at that point, maybe it's, it's better just to maximize if you're assuming the other people are going to be rational, then you might as, might as well. But yeah. you can't always assume the other people are going to be rational also. So it's true. It's true. I certainly benefited from that. So we have a new champion yeah. going into Thursday. Mm-hmm. Graphic novels, I've mentioned, are a, a favorite genre of mine. Although, um, before we decided to um, pass the deep dive off to somebody else, I was considering doing a deep dive on graphic novels and realized that I, although I'm a, a fan of contemporary graphic novels, I haven't read a lot of the sort of culturally significant ones from kind of earlier well, that yeah. that date surprised me, nineteen sixty four, because I thought it was something within our, you know, within our lifetime, within our generation, that that became a thing. Yeah. Well, Mouse was published in nineteen eighty six. Hmm. I would I would point to that one as you know one like the maybe one of the early ones that really um, sort of defined the genre. Although that's still that's still like twenty years after the essay coined the term. So yeah, um, yeah. So going into Thursday, we have the contestants Wasim Daher, a startup founder from San Francisco, California, Dewey Harjanto, a computational biologist from Boston, Massachusetts, and Jessica Babbitt, a personal stylist from Austin, Texas, whose one-day cash winnings total 23398 And we get the categories Report Cards of Historical Figures, TV Talk, Food and Drink in the Bible, Current British Royals, This and That, and Anagrams of Least. Jessica knows her current British Royals. She does. She seemed, she she definitely was very excited about that category. Yes. And she almost ran it. Mm-hmm. If not for that, that dang $600 clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking for the Prince and Great Steward of Scotland. Jessica guessed who is Prince Philip. Dewey guessed who is Prince Andrew, but it is, in fact, Prince Charles. Mm-hmm. But she got all the others. Yeah. Oh, uh, we had a, at the $1,000 level of anagrams of least, we had scientific unit of measure oh. for magnetic flux density. Um, yeah. You talked about that with us last week. I did. That's a Tesla. That's a, that is a derived unit. Mm-hmm. You know that's right, magnetic flux. 
which don't ask me to explain what it is. Yeah. Like no. when it's explained to me, I understand it, but having to turn that information around and explain it to someone else, I'm like, oh. <laughs> so there's like magnetism, and then it fluxes. <laughs> That sounds right. That's, yeah. You know, it's credible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has a certain density. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's a Tesla. I yeah. felt, I I got, I got like bouncy in my chair watching when that came up. And I was like, oh, oh, I just talked about this. Yeah. We also had another of my, my favorite topics just sort of tangentially mentioned at the $800 level of TV talk. Uh, in the unaired one of these for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Buffy is a brunette and goes to Berryman High School. The correct answer is a pilot, um, but I got really excited when I, I always get excited when Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> Buffy. is mentioned. Yeah. We get the daily double near the end of the round. It's pick number 29. It's in the food and drink in the Bible category. And as we mentioned, I think last week, another Bible category. Mm-hmm. Dewey finds it, and she wagers two thousand of her four thousand, which will put her into the lead if she gets it right. The clue is in the King James version. These two words complete Luke eleven three. Give us day by day our dot dot dot, and she correctly identifies what is daily bread. I never know what Bible questions are hard anymore. You're you're in the forest, mm-hmm. so you can't really see it. That's all trees from here. I did not think that one was terribly difficult, but if you if you have not grown up in a Christian tradition, then probably the phrase like, you know, give us this day our daily bread does not connect to anything in your life, right? Right, yeah. Like, it's not a thing you've ever mm-hmm. heard. Yeah. At the $400 level in that category, we had part of John the Baptist's unusual diet were these, which some think are insects and others believe to be beans. Um, John the Baptist was said to uh, live in the wilderness and eat locusts and honey. And people assume that it's locusts like, you know, like the, like the plague on Egypt, like the, the mm-hmm. insects that devour crops. But also there's like locust pods, hmm. which I've heard are like those things. I don't know if you have them where you are. They're, they're like these long pods that like fall off the trees. And when you shake them, the little seeds inside make a rattling sound. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I'm not sure if that is the exact same sort of sort of locust pod that hmm. people think it might be referring to. Um, that's uh, that is possibly what locusts and, and honey is referring to. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, did not know that. All right, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Jessica is in second place at 5,600. Dewey's in the lead at 7,000, and Wasim is in third place at 3,400, and he picks first from the categories Defending Themselves in Court, Science, Before and After, Male Writers, Diving, and A Case of the Bends. I thought it was very interesting that they specified male writers. It's because I asked them to a few weeks ago. (laughs) I'm telling you, they're fans of the pod... And they're listening to me and uh, doing my bidding. That is... With great power comes great responsibility, Emily. I, um... There was a consensus among female former Jeopardy contestants that this is a nod to the fact that Jeopardy has a long tradition of designating, like, 
female scientists, female writers, uh, you know, female, you know, what this female, like, uh, or women. I think often they say women. Um, yeah. But that categories that are consist of all male scientists or male writers are not sig- similarly designated. So I think this is their sort of tongue in cheek gesture toward that. Or maybe not tongue in cheek. Maybe yeah. just a shift in what they in the way they approach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But but either um, way, either way, it's a, it seems to be a very conscious choice, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I I liked it. I liked the acknowledgement that it was a male writers category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always love the before and after categories, and I particularly like the very first pick in the round, the twelve hundred dollar clue, current slang term for a scornful glance at the optometrist's test for visual acuity. That is a side eye exam. I yes. Yeah, that, I mean, it was a fun, it was a, uh, an enjoyable category. And it, it is fun to, to puzzle those things out. My favorite was uh, the $400 clue. He famously said, give me liberty or give me death before wearing leather as the Fonz on Happy Days. That's Patrick Henry Winkler. <laughs> That's good. Either of those in each other's situations would have... I don't know if it would have made things better or worse, but it certainly would have been entertaining. Mm, yeah, for sure. Uh, Daily Double 2 comes in at the 24th pick, um, so we've left them both to quite late in the round. It's in the diving category at the $800 level. Wasim finds it and wagers 4000 of his 8200 At that point, Jessica has 10400 Dewey has 11800 he gets the clue most dives fall into three basic body positions the tuck straight and this one also a type of fish he guesses what is angler but if you listened to our episode back in like late december early january Mm -hmm. uh, you might remember from the quiz that that is the pike i remembered from the quiz that that is the pike Oh my gosh, it's almost like we're learning things by doing this. I know. It's incredible. Isn't it great? Uh, it, it feels really good every time to be like, oh, I know exactly when I learned that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. But yes, it is the pike. Yeah, like I said, Wasim does not, does not get it correct. So he drops down some. And just two picks later, at pick number 26, he finds the third daily double. And this time he wagers 4200 which is everything he's got left, because it's his chance to get back in the game. And it's in the A Case of the Bends category, at the $1,600 level. The clue is Yokiero, Texas's Big Bend National Park, which skirts the Rio Grande in the northern part of this canine desert. So there are two clues in there pointing you toward the the correct response but mm-hmm. Wasim isn't able to pull it he just guesses what is dog desert and the correct response is the chihuahua because mm-hmm. who doesn't remember those just incredibly yeah, clever commercials yeah just just really spot on marketing <laughs> yeah glad those went away yep um so unfortunately Wasim is at zero when double jeopardy ends so he does not get to participate in final jeopardy jessica is at eleven thousand six hundred. dewey at eleven thousand eight hundred, um and they get the category actors and the clue speaking of his role in a 1964 film 
be apologized for the most atrocious Cockney accent in the history of cinema. Jessica has wagered everything, 11,600, which is probably a mistake coming from second place, but it works for her because she correctly responds, who is Dick Van Dyke? Uh, Dewey has made a cover bet of 11,401, but says, who is Sean Connery? Yeah. I did not know how to even begin approaching this clip. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's for his role as Bert in Mary Poppins. Yeah. Um, I think it tickled my, some memory of, like, I, I feel like I've seen this fact before. Mm. that he had apologized for his bad accent but also just i don't know if your 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 children enjoy the you know like disney hits playlists on spotify but my daughter does and so every so often we'll get a mary poppins song and just every time every time i hear his his accent i'm just like man i'm not super good at accents but dude you were an actor Mm, yeah (laughs) it really was bad (laughs) yeah so i don't know that makes sense it's been a long time since i saw or listened to mary poppins so we have a special guest joining us to talk about friday and then bring us a deep dive and a quiz she is saving my bacon because i have been busy closing down my church uh for the (laughs) for the uh pandemic which we're not chatting about today because this is a jeopardy podcast so we'd like to welcome lauren strickling brody to the podcast hello uh she was in our tape day group she played against kyle on his his second game uh, it was the Thursday game, is how I remember it. Um, that is correct. Yeah. And uh, they had, like, sort of a complicated game. Um, there were two judges' rulings. Both involving uh, me. <laughs> and both involving Lauren. Um, one where they she was ruled correct, and then they overturned it, and then another one where she was ruled incorrect, and then she ended up getting credited for it. Um, and then they had a triple stumper final Jeopardy that Lauren had a personal connection to but just couldn't pull the the right thing because you know in part because that's uh that's rattling to have those rulings yeah by by that point up was down left was right you know i didn't know what was uh, going on i was right i was wrong i was wrong i was right i blanked mm-hmm. uh but we're delighted to get to chat with her again um and she uh she works at story pirates and i understand that you have a podcast over there lauren yes we are a kids and family podcast we adapt stories that elementary school aged kids write and we adapt them into sketch comedy and song so you should definitely check us out we have lesson plans online as well because we are teachers and comedians Um, and it's really really entertaining for both kids and adults alike and we are on gimlet anywhere you can get podcasts you can get us but it is a real delight for the whole family great for car trips great for if you're just trying to kill time so check out story pirates yeah i think my kids are gonna love it and and who could possibly be needing to kill time with their kids right about now? I mean, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a perfect time for that. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great work. So we're going to talk about the Friday game from March 13th. And we have the contestants Duncan Wheels, a law student from Silver Spring, Maryland. Kim Lifisel, an associate director of scientific training from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And Jessica Babbitt, a personal stylist from Austin, Texas, whose two-day cash winnings total $46,598. 
And in the Jeopardy round, we get the categories Petal Pushers, Petal with a T, Athletic Achievements, State the Problem, First Names of Famous Pairs, Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, and S plus three letters. I don't know about you, but the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum would have been the place I went to first, and I never would have left it. Oh man, I... they had trouble with this one, I think. They they kind of did. Yeah, there there were there were three triple stumpers in that category, which I mean is is fine because I mean ultimately it's a trivia question asking for a, a very specific thing, but. And the, the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum is like, ugh, it is nostalgic for me, and I don't know, just one of my favorite places in the world. It's a cool place. I don't think I share your level of expertise. Um, although I did know the $1,000 clue, but but uh, second-guessed myself and didn't end up deciding to say my guess out loud. Um, appropriately, Little Stinker and Nimble Pitt's special S1C hangs upside down. In the 1940s and 50s, pioneering daredevil Betty Skelton flew it to win titles in this spectacular sport of stunt flying. And I thought, aerobatics? And then it was a triple stumper, and aerobatics would have been correct mm-hmm. if I had guessed it out loud in the privacy of my living room, which <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I guess out loud in my living room. Emily, stop talking about this on the podcast. Well, I I, uh, <laughs> I got to say, I loved aerobatics, and I almost, I wrote that down as, as a possible, this whole category, a possible for a deep dive into air and space. But then I sort of second guessed myself and thought, I'm probably not the expert on this that, that <laughs> is warranted for the Smithsonian uh, Air and Space Museum. Sure. We would probably be remiss if we did not point out how difficult the athletic achievements category was. Oh yeah, uh, they didn't. They didn't like that. They also didn't like the uh, the states category. That was uh, a little difficult. No, it, yeah, this really this whole game was kind of kind of dirty. It was it was tough on the contestants. We get the first daily double in the state the problem category at the eight hundred dollar level. It's the 18th pick. Duncan finds it and wagers 1500 and gets the clue. State troopers attack peaceful marchers on Bloody Sunday, 1965. Um, and he correctly responds, what is Alabama? That was in, that's, that's, that was the one in Selma, I believe. That's, right? I, I yeah. believe that is correct, yes. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the, the Pettus Bridge? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had the lead at that point and picked up a bit more, um, but then stayed pretty steady through the end of the round. And we missed, uh, we had a few unrevealed clues, um, probably because those video clues for Smithsonian Air and Space Museum were were pretty long. Yeah. Ate up a lot of time. Going into Double Jeopardy, um, Duncan is in the lead with 5,700, Jessica has 1,800, and Kim is in the red with negative 800. Um, So she picks first from hodgepodge a hodge uh h-a-j-j like the muslim pilgrimage i that just seems disrespectful but i don't know yeah what a what a pun writers what a pun yeah i don't uh that one that pun made me real uncomfortable still does Uh, anyway um, yeah who did she marry 1940s literature are we there yet with R in quotation marks? The Norman Conquest and Portmanteau words. 
I really like the portmanteau words uh, category. Me too. I was I was uh, kind of hoping that my my the French nerd in me uh, wanted it to be portmanteau ending in an X uh, for mm. plural portmanteau, um, but they put the words on there because not everybody is a French nerd, and I realized that. Mm-hmm. That is that is accurate. Yes, <laughs> I would, it is. I would not describe myself as portmanteaus. That. That's right. My favorite kind of. Uh, kind of poultry was was listed in that category at the $1,200 level. Three birds are smashed together in this word, as well as in the resulting poultry dish, which is a turducken. Classic. Have you never... had a turducken? Oh, I've had turducken. <laughs> oh, it's indescribable. It's just... Did somebody it's... in your in your like extended family like do the turducken making process, or did you go to a place that was selling turducken? No, we, uh, it was, it was at my uncle's house. Um, Uh yeah, for, for Thanksgiving one year. Nice. And in, he, he enjoys the finer things in life. So, uh, he had heard the, of this new thing where you jam a chicken and a duck and a turkey. And he was like, well, I gotta have that. So we, we had to duck him and it was, uh, it was glorious. Is it chicken and duck in turkey, or is it duck in chicken in turkey? Oh, maybe duck. Is, well, is this a new chicken or the egg thing? I kind of, I'm wondering, is the duck smaller or is the chicken smaller? I, th- I honestly don't I th- know. I think it's, I think it, uh, well, now I want to do research, but I think it's like a Cornish game, game hen. Uh, like it's a well, small okay. chicken yeah, sure, it's a, a game hen. But, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's variety. So they should call it maybe. the turduck hen instead. Hmm. <laughs> Of a, according to Wikipedia, yeah. it is a deboned chicken stuffed into a deboned duck, okay. further stuffed into a turkey. Okay, okay, that and, makes a lot of uh, sense. It's like it's like it cooks out any possible flaw in each of those three birds and leaves only the deliciousness. It is so good. Have you ever ha- had a deep fried turducken or deep fried turkey? That's I, growing up in Texas. People got really into a, the deep frying oh, their turkeys mm-hmm. for a while in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, people still do it. Yeah. I, I probably not nearly as widespread, but yeah, no, I've had I've had deep fried turkey. I've ne- I don't know that I don't know that you would uh, deep fry a turducken. I mean, that would be quite. It's, that would take the whole day, really. It would, and it seems almost sacrilegious to me. It doesn't <laughs> seem like you're showing it the proper respect if you dunk it in hot oil but but maybe i don't know i don't know now that we've spent a good 15 minutes talking about this yes it's uh it's well it was a great portmanteau uh including uh, we had another great portmanteau one of my favorites uh from jabberwocky we had chortle uh i didn't write down the the full clue but i i love all of the portmanteau in um in, in the Jabberwocky, and I knew the second that that uh, category came up, I was really excited to see some uh, some Lewis Carroll. I love Jabberwocky. When I read it in high school, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the coolest thing in the whole world." Mm-hmm. I memorized it when I was a kid, and then I outbust Kyle on the Snickersnee clue. So that was <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> uh, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Not sorry. That Vorpal blade, That's, you know. Sorry. So speaking of the portmanteau words, as we have been for a very long time, we get the second daily double in that category at the $1,600 level. The clue is money can't buy happiness, says this portmanteau syndrome in which the wealthy feel guilt and isolation. 
Kim found it and she wagered 2000, but she is not able to come up with the correct response, and that is affluenza. So Daily Double 3 comes as the very last clue of the round. It's in the $2,000 level of the Norman Conquest. Jessica finds it and wagers 2000 She is just barely trailing Duncan at this point, um, and it's the last clue. So this is her chance to take the lead going into final. The clue is, on Christmas Day 1066, Eldred, the Archbishop of York, crowned William King of England at this church. She correctly responds, what is Westminster Abbey? And I, I was confident she was going to get it once I remembered it because she was so good on that British royalty category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, if there's a church you're going to guess in England, I, I yeah. think you're going to guess Yeah, but I trusted her to Abbey. know the English churches, you know? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I, I thought the British royalty stuff had demonstrated that she, you know, sort of, you know, had some degree of, like, Anglophile kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I loved the look on her face, right? It's it's great when you see a Jeopardy contestant get a Daily Double and you see that they know it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I felt like she had that look on her face of, oh, I got this. And that's so satisfying to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That correct response puts her into the lead going into final Jeopardy. Uh, so she is at 13,400. Kim is back at 6,000. And Duncan is right behind Jessica at 12,100. And they get the Final Jeopardy category birds. Um, could be anything. It could be anything. It could be anything. could be anything. Could, could be turducken. Uh, it could be. Oh, my gosh. If only. <laughs> If only it was deep fried turducken again in the same game. I know, right? Ah. All right. They get the clue. Black-footed and black-browed are two species of this seabird whose name was influenced by the Latin word for white. Kim has wagered 3,000, and she correctly responds, what is albatross? So she bumps herself up to 9,000. Duncan wagered 6,000. And just and just went for it. He he guessed what is booby. It's good for him, you know. If you're gonna go out, go out, be like, go out, go go out in know. style. Guessing booby on national television. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he, my guess is he was thinking of the blue-footed booby, and like he knew yeah. that it was wrong. But like, again, but also, always writing something is better than writing nothing. True. Yeah. Of course. Also, no. It, I mean, in this it's case, a bird. very funny. Yeah, and it worked out well. Um, but that is incorrect, so he drops down. Uh, yeah. And Jessica also got it correct with what is Albatross, and she wagered uh, 11600 which was enough to cover Duncan's all-in. Um, so she gets another big payday and is now a three-day champion with a total of $71,598. Amazing. So Albatross was yeah. not an albatross for her, you know, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> ha ha. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, yes. Uh, so that brings us to the end of the week. Amazing. And and that means that Lauren is now going to escort us. Oh yes. On a deep dive. Deep dive. So so that albatross pun is a is a uh, fitting segue for my deep dive of the week. Um, so this, this was inspired by the clue from this game, the Friday, March 13th show, uh, in the famous pairs category. 
So each clue in that category gave the last names and required the contestants to give the first names. And it that was actually kind of hard because I think we're used to calling people by their last names and coming up mm -hmm. with their first names very quickly. It was difficult. So I was inspired by the clue, which was Burns and Allen. Uh, the correct response being George and Gracie. So I thought since we can all use some levity right now, we could do a deep dive into comedy pairs and comedy duos um, because they're everywhere and it might give the audience some fun YouTube rabbit holes to go down um, and just generally is a delight. Yeah. So let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Great. So um, uh, officially the deep dive, uh, my, the kind of framing that I thought about this is about comedy duos. They're also known as double acts because they are two people, double acts. Um, and they're essentially defined as a comedy pair who perform almost exclusively together like Burns and Allen. Um, we also probably are familiar with others like Laurel and Hardy. Uh, do you happen to know their first names? Uh, um, uh, Laurel and Hardy, um, Stan and, oh, dang it. No, I don't. Stan and Oliver, Ollie, Stan and Ollie. Oliver, Ollie, Ollie. I know, I didn't tell you I was going to quiz you. We also have Abbott and Costello. Well, Do you know their did, first but... names? Abbott and Costello. Um, Definitely not. I don't know. Lou and, yep. oh, oh man, I can only get one. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's, it's Bud, Bud, Bud Abbott, Bud Abbott, Bud Lou Abbott. Costello, and then this one. So we have Martin and Lewis. Oh yeah, Jerry Martin and Dean Lewis. Yeah, no. Dean, Dean Martin. <laughs> and oh my Jerry god, Lewis. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Oh my god. <laughs> so, so the point being, this was a tricky category, right? This was a tricky category. It's hard to come up with people's first names correctly, uh -huh. um, and then of course we have modern ones like Key and Peele, Keegan Michael Key, and Jordan Peele. So, um, mm. there are a lot of these throughout comedy history. But let's think about, you know, what 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 is a duo, right? What is the the manifestation of a comedy duo? So. Typically, comedy duos feature a very specific dynamic between the two performers used for comic effect and also to set up the jokes. So usually one of them is like the voice of reason. Sometimes this is called straight man or the stooge. Basically, somebody who's more grounded in reality. Uh, maybe have they have more reasonable reactions to things. And a lot of the comedy comes from their disbelief in the actions of their partner. So in the ones that we've mentioned, George Burns, Stan Laurel, Bud Abbott, and Dean Martin are this voice of reason. Um, sometimes the comedy also comes from the voice of reason having really outsized reactions to the comic partner. They'll get really mad, really frustrated. They'll be in disbelief. So basically what most of us watching at home would do, but exaggerated, right? Because this is comedy. Comedy is all about exaggeration. So you have the voice of reason, and then you have the comic partner. So they're the one who's saying and doing ridiculous things. So they're usually referred to as the comic. Um, I also came across the term um, banana man, which is a term I'd never heard, so I looked it up. <laughs> and uh, it was the name of a specific vaudeville character uh, from this comic named A. Robbins, who dressed in a really baggy tuxedo and performed like a musical clown routine in which he would keep pulling props and instruments out of his seemingly bottomless tuxedo pants. Um, yeah, so that's it was really funny. It's a, it's a ca character that actually got purchased by other comics, and it was actually in use throughout the 20th century. Um, also, the comic player is sometimes referred to as a buffoon, and that comes from the Italian. So that's the Italian, like, commedia mm -hmm. dell'arte tradition. Um, because in Italy, buffare 
literally means to make like a fart sound with your mouth. So it's like, <laughs> that's buffare, um, which is incredible that they have a word for that. So um, a buffoon is somebody who's very silly. Um, we also see opera buffa, right? Comic opera. We have Pagliacci. Um, and then that also exists like in even tragic operas like Rigoletto, uh, who is a clown in a tragedy. So uh, regardless, th this character in the comic duo is the one who does the ridiculous things that, that the voice of reason is reacting against. Um, so that's the general dynamic between uh, comic duos. Um, so whatever's going on, the, the comic uh, person is misunderstanding something and the voice of reason just doesn't understand why. Um, and usually there's a status uh, differential as well. The voice of reason is usually perceived as more intelligent or more educated or more straight-laced or more, you know, sort of uh, orthodox rule-oriented. Rule and then the comic partner is sillier, playing outside the rules, um, and, and as a result is the one sort of challenging the status quo. Um, and then there are also some comic duos as well. Uh, like, for example, Beavis and Butthead, um, or also um, sometimes, you know, Key and Peele or musical acts like Tenacious D or Flight of the Concords, where the roles are kind of interchangeable. So sometimes one of them is more high status, sometimes the other one is more high status. But basically, this like voice of reason comic uh, aspect is, is what is the basis for these comic duos. Um, there's another type of comic duo as well, uh, which doesn't focus on contrast, which is called peas in a pod. And if you're in a peas in a pod duo, you are very much in the same situation. So you are not mm. conflicting. Um, so you get a lot of, for example, Key and Peel have a lot of sketches where they are on the same page. Um, but you also get this with sketches like Delicious Dish from SNL where they're all like, yes, national, they're all on national public radio and they're all very chill. Um, you also see this in the cheerleaders on SNL. Um, Broad City is a great example of peas in a pod. So there are also comic duos that are basically two people who are very much on the same page in the same situation. Um, and there's less conflict. So that's like the basic dynamic, but I thought I'd do a little being a deep dive and talk a little bit about the history of comedy duos or double acts. Um, they're very popular in the UK uh, because they've been a part of the music hall tradition there. And in the US, they're more associated with vaudeville and vaudeville being in the 18th and early 19th century, um, basically an act that could tour and be part of a variety show. Um, so vaudeville usually had uh, singing, dancing, comedy, maybe trained animals, acrobats, jugglers, and then you have some comedy. You have a double act. Um, and as vaudeville became less popular when movies and radio and eventually TV took over, double acts were able to bridge that gap and end up on TV and radio and in movies and record material that they'd been doing for years and years. Uh, so this brings me to Burns and Allen. So they are George and Gracie, George Burns and Gracie Allen. And their story is amazing and adorable because they were married. Um, yes, they met in 1922. Uh, and they first started performing in vaudeville together. And they eventually went on radio and then TV. They made movies. 
Um, and I love them because I just love this idea of being able to uh, work with your beloved. I think it's fantastic. Um, and there are other man-woman duos like that, like Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira, uh, Ben Stiller's parents, were also a great uh, comic duo who were also in real life a couple. Um, so it's pretty. It's a pretty phenomenal dynamic. Um, so Burns and Allen were married in 1926, and they were together until Gracie Allen died in 1964. Um, now, if you were a child of the 80s like me, you probably remember George Burns because he was still around. Uh, and he had his signature round glasses and always had a cigar. Um, and he, despite smoking, you know, hundreds of thousands of cigars over his lifetime, he had uh, a lot of success uh, following Gracie Allen's death. And he famously played God opposite John Denver, oh, <laughs> of all, right. right in Oh God. Talk about mm -hmm. uh, an odd couple. Uh, he was on The Muppet Show. He was really active. And he died in 1996 at age 100. So comedy wow. is, uh, is a key to longevity. Um, so in, in prep for this deep dive, I watched an episode on YouTube of a Burns and Allen show from 1952. Um, and it was really cool because they filmed it in an actual auditorium. And they had essentially stage sets. Um, and they were filming it in front of a live, live audience. Uh, and occasionally George Burns would like, break the fourth wall and cross through the proscenium and talk to the audience. Um, mm -hmm. And also they had one sponsor, which was Carnation Instant Milk. Mm. Um, <laughs> and throughout the show, they showed all of the different ways you could use Carnation Instant Milk, including they, they showed somebody who was like just arms supposed to being Gracie Allen. Like it was, you know, it was like on, uh, on Muppet Babies, you couldn't see her face, so she could be anyone. Um, and so she was making, making George Burns fried chicken. Uh, and then they also were really, really pushing the idea that you could use carnation milk to feed your babies. Um, and yeah, it was like they were really, really pushing it. It was really interesting. And they had this whole baby book of like triplets and quadruplets and quintuplets that were famous then in the 50s and how they were like carnation babies. So anyway, go, getting a deep dive into the stuff is also worth it just based on the advertising that you get to see. So anyway, the, the, the plot of this episode that I uh, watch is a, is a plot about a classic misapprehension. I think it was billed on YouTube as Gracie confusing a person with a desk. Um, <laughs> and it sounds like it's going to just be like, oh, the wife is dumb, but it, it actually was pretty funny and charming. And, uh, the basic gist is that George Burns says that he's getting a new secretary. Um, and he means he's getting a giant piece of furniture that has a desk on it. But mm. Gracie Allen thinks he's getting a person to work for him. And she hears lots of rumors from her friends about how men have affairs with secretaries, right? And, uh, and, and it's a lot of wordplay. And she, she hires a private detective, but he follows the wrong person, and, and hilarity ensues. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because, you know, humor has stayed pretty consistent. Most of the jokes are about misapprehension. So they're about misapprehending, like, what is a secretary? Because in English, that could be a desk or a person. 
Um, they're about just the many ways in the English language that we can misunderstand.、Um, mm. And I think that's something that really English lends itself to this type of humor because there are so many homophones in English and so many things that have double and triple and quadruple meanings. So even you know even though there were a lot of very 1950s gender roles in this, it was still pretty funny.、Um, and also, even though it's 1952, George Burns already sounds like he's 100 years old. It's amazing. Like he has the same like 100 years old voice.、Um, <laughs> it's amazing.、Uh, he doesn't wear glasses yet, but he has the same voice. So another thing that I thought was a, a, a fun trivia thing. So、uh, I my concept of、uh, um, Burns and Allen was that there was a famous line where George Burns would say to Gracie, "Say goodnight, Gracie," and she'd go, "Goodnight, Gracie." But this doesn't exist. So this like apparently this never happened. Um, he would say, "Say goodnight, Gracie," and she'd go, "Goodnight." But I could not find a single time. Where she actually said goodnight, Gracie. Really?、Uh, yeah. So I feel like it's one of these things where it's common thing where like it's like a common knowledge that we've all gotten wrong.、Um, huh. You know that 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 it's like this. It's you know the joke or the quote that we all just have decided this person said, but they didn't actually do.、Um, so I thought that was interesting because that's what I associated in my trivia mind with、uh, Burns and Allen. So to sort of wrap this up,、uh, I have just a bunch of other just a deep dive into comedy duos. So Burns and Allen were really popular.、Uh, as I was watching them, I was reminded of Lucille Ball, and on her show, she's usually the comic foil to her husband Desi Arnaz, but also her best friend Ethel. And so it's kind of cool that you have a comic sort of voice of reason dynamic with Lucy and Ethel and Lucy and Desi. And this made me think as well of the term sitcom, right? Which is probably obvious. It means situation comedy.、Um, mm-hmm. But once you have these archetypes, right? Once you have this voice of reason comic character, you can put them in different situations, and it is surprising that they're in a new situation, and we can see how they react. But then it's also really funny because it's still familiar. Um, to us, and we kind of know we're like, ah,、oh, that's so Lucy, or that's so whoever it is. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and they, you know, whatever it is that makes them a fish out of water character, which is another great comedy term. Whatever makes them like not belong or not be able to, you know, understand the situation,、uh, that sets up the comedy premise for that episode. So that's how you can make a comic duo into a series.、Hmm. Yeah.、Um, nice. Yeah, so just a little bit more. This is a deep dive.、Um, probably the most famous.、Uh, if I said comic duo or double act, you probably thought of Who's on First by Abbott and Costello. That's probably、mm-hmm. still the most famous、uh, comic bit.、Um, and it's you know it's Abbott being the voice of reason and and Lou Costello being the comic. And it's a great example of this idea of misapprehension and wordplay because the 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 players' names are who. What I don't know because today and tomorrow, and it's all about the misunderstandings.、Mm. Um, so that's a, a great example of this. And、um, yeah, before finishing up, I just wanted to mention a few other duos to check out. So this is a really popular genre in the UK.、Um, so we have French and Saunders. 
uh, who are a British comedy duo, and their sketches became uh, the basis for AbFab, Absolutely Fabulous. Mm. Um, which is hugely popular. Uh, I watched a sketch today that where they were misunderstanding Cockney rhyming slang, and it was like <laughs> misunderstanding upon misunderstanding upon misunderstanding. Um, and of course, I'm American, so I don't understand any of it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was amazing. So uh, other like Britons of note, uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. So um, Dudley Moore, uh, they had an amazing comic duo. Um, if you know Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, so before, you know, Stephen yeah. Fry, the, the poet mm-hmm. uh, and author, and then Hugh Laurie of uh, fame on House, um, they yeah. have had a whole series in the 90s called A Bit of Fry and Laurie. They were first famous as a comic duo in the UK. Um, and they also did a series called Jeeves and Worcester, which is from the PG Woodhouse Jeeves Butler character. So like they did, a, which is also a comic duo, um, which is pretty cool. Um, they also have, so we also have like Mitchell and Webb as uh, another British duo um, from Peep Show uh, and a Mitchell and Webb look. Uh, I highly recommend the sketch called Are We the Baddies, which is uh, takes place during World War II, and it's some German soldiers realizing that maybe they're the bad guys. <laughs> um, and it's pretty amazing. Um, and then you also have like Little Britain with David Williams and Matt Lucas, and then The Mighty Boosh with Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding, uh, who is now mm. uh, of The Great British Baking Show. That's right. Um, so lots and lots of great British duos. Um, I'm, I'm sure missing a ton of them. Um, is As for American comedy, one thing of note that uh, the comedy duo in the 20th century evolved a couple different ways, and it evolved into the buddy comedy. So mm. we have early examples of the buddy comedy and also like the road movie. Um, so you have examples like Bing Crosby and Bob Hope in the, in the Road 2 movies yeah. where they travel across the world, they're in different situations. Um, you also have great body comedies featuring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in the 1970s, like Silver Streak, um, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau in The Odd Couple, which is also mm-hmm. the basis for everyone's favorites, Bert and Ernie. They're a comic duo. Um, one of them is, yeah, right. One of them straight laced and one of them yeah. sort of messy and doesn't know what's going on. Um, and then from the buddy movie, we also get the buddy cop movie, which is pretty amazing. So we have like 48 hours, rush hour, lethal weapon, the heat with Melissa McCarthy. Um, you can even think of Die Hard as a buddy cop movie in its own way, <laughs> right? Because like you have Bruce Willis, like John McClane is there, but like he needs like Al, right? He needs Reginald Bell Johnson's Al in order to do what he needs to do. Um, I... <laughs> and it's like a buddy movie, you know what I mean? What really Die Hard? What kind of movie is is Die Hard not? Well, it's know? a Christmas buddy cop thriller action movie. I don't know romance. Yeah, but um, so yeah, but it can be seen that way, right? Because they they have a really the part. Their repartee is part of what keeps the the movie light. Um, mm-hmm. And you even have buddy cop genres that have been parodied. So you have like Hot Fuzz which is mm-hmm. Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, right? And like they are parodying the, so it goes full circle. Like they parody the buddy cop movie 
um, in, with hot fuzz. Um, and yeah. then you also have travel movies. This falls into this category too. So like Thelma and Louise. Um, you have Itu Mama Tambien with Diego Luna and Gail Garcia Bernal. Um, you have The Blues Brothers, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Um, and then you even have Dumb and Dumber where you have Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels and they're just two comic characters and there's no voice of reason. <laughs> and it's just uh, fart jokes and uh, ridiculousness. Um, so obviously I could go on forever because there's so, 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 so many comic duos. Um, but just a few more to check out. Um, there's Nichols and May who are incredible. That's Mike Nichols, by the way, um, and Elaine May. And they did this incredible sort of improv. They matched each other in tone. Uh, there's a scene called Back to Bach, I think you'd like, Kyle. Um, mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing. And then there's Jeopardy fans, uh, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. That's uh, right. <laughs> right? They apparently, they watch Jeopardy together to stay sharp. Um, and yeah. they are famous for their 2,000-year-old man series. And, and they're, they are approaching it. I mean, they are, they are uh, in their 90s and still going. Other ones, I saw we mentioned Key and Peele. The, any of the David Spade and Chris Farley films, like Tommy Boy, really falls into this category. David Spade is more straight-laced. Chris Farley... Um, is just incredible. Uh, and a lot of SNL writers end up sort of forming duos that you see in sketches. Um, you also have Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein in Portlandia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then musical duos like Flight of the Concords with Jemaine Clement and Brett McKenzie, and then Tenacious D, Jack Black, and Kyle Gass. Um, so anything with Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, uh, it, it, it's even in, in YouTube, right? This is everywhere. Like YouTuber comedy duos like Rhett and Link um, on Good Mythical mm-hmm. Morning. So this is a thriving genre. And there's a lot of amazing trivia here because when you have a duo, they're going to ask you about one and you're going to have to supply the other. Or they're going to ask you right. for Latin, last names. And they're going to tell you their first names. So um, a lot of amazing trivia here, but also a lot of fodder for good deep dives on YouTube, um, seeing comedy from throughout uh, the 20th and 21st century. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should put some of these links up on our um, on our, uh, our yes, media absolutely. Our Patreon. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, we should. Um, so I have some trivia questions for you all. All right. So we haven't done this in a while where there's more than one person answering the questions. So we're going head to head is my, is my thought, right? I, I guess that's what we're doing. Let's do it. I don't know. It's you the tell me. Rematch. The epic rematch. <laughs> the epic rematch with me giving are, the questions. Are you, <laughs> are you, Kyle, are you more the straight laced one or is that, is that me? I don't know. I, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah, let's okay. go. So, for okay. It. So, the, right. so the category header, if we're playing this like a Jeopardy style category, right? Um, the category mm. header is double act. Okay. 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 So the first, I don't, is this a 200 or are we just? Sure. Clue number one. Okay. Uh, clue number one for 200. Okay. From the German for double goer. This refers to a non-biologically related mirror of a living person, much like the ones Jerry, Elaine, George, and Kramer faced in the Seinfeld episode, The Bizarro Jerry. 
All right, all right I'm locked right, in. I've got my answer, too. Okay. All right. Fairly certain that's a doppelganger. Yeah, doppelganger is what I've got. Yes, doppelganger is correct. All right. But where's the umlaut? There's That's the question. Um, okay, is that actually the question? No, it's I, not the question. <laughs> I think it's over every every single vowel. All of the vowels. Um, yeah. I think it's just the A, according to autocorrect. I, but, think, uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, so great. You both got it. Amazing. Yeah. I guess I award 200 to both of you. I don't know how this works. All well, right, we can do it that way. Let's, let, yeah. Here's the second question. The fifth book of the New Testament, it tells of the founding of the church and the spread of its message to the Roman Empire. All right. Now I'm locked in with the correct answer. Yes, me too. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead, Emily. It's Acts. It is, yeah, it is Acts. Yes, what is Acts? Because the category was double act. Get it? Double right. acts. Oh, so good. <laughs> right. Yes, that was for you, Emily, but then I misphrased it initially, and that was on me. Okay, so you're tied. Oh, this is a nail biter. Okay. Ready for the third question? Yes. All right. Let's okay. Do it. Passed in 1854, this repealed the Missouri Compromise and allowed settlers to determine whether or not to allow slavery in their boundaries. Okay, I've got my answer. Oh. I cannot remember it. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to remember it. I'm going to say, um, uh, it's better to say something than nothing. I will say Mason Dixon act. I'm sure that we're going for an act here. Right, that's the I idea. Can't. I think yeah. we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... Uh, the only thing that came to mind, and I just stuck with it because I'm not going to come up with anything else, but I think it's the Kansas-Nebraska Act. That is, oh, that no, is correct, Kyle. Is. That is correct. The Kansas-Nebraska yes. Act. Very good. All right, Kyle pulls ahead. Kyle pulls ahead. Kansas-Nebraska Act. Amazing. Yeah, I had to get a, I had to get a good a good AP U.S. History Act in there for this double act that's category. Right. That's right. Um, all right. The next question. Okay, still second behind Trist Speaker for all-time doubles in the major leagues, it might have been his speed towards second or his alleged gambling on the sport that earned him the nickname Charlie Hustle. Alleged gambling? I mean, that leads me to but one name. I don't think I've got anyone for this. Go I mean, for I've it, Kyle. Okay, um probably need to learn more about this but the only uh the only like baseball player who really got in big trouble for gambling aside from like the you know 1919 white Sox or whatever i i would guess pete rose yeah pete rose is correct why his nickname was charlie hustle yeah his nickname was charlie hustle why i don't know i don't know but i do know that he is still number two in the number of doubles that he batted Mm. hence why i put him in double act that Uh, is awesome and then i learned that his name was nickname was charlie hustle which made no sense to me so i thought it would be fun to put in (laughs) yeah that threw me off because like yeah oh yeah yeah huh yeah oh it's super weird okay all right super weird (laughs) Uh, the last question in, I guess, regular Jeopardy. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, here it is. Perhaps the most famous soliloquy in English, to be or not to be, occurs during what part of Hamlet? This is a tricky one, which is why I put it last. It's real specific. Oof. 
Are are you looking for like an act? Yes, X, I'm looking C, for an. I'll of? say I'm looking for just an act, just a number. I won't. I, I mean, okay. I, I have the scene, but you don't need to tell me the scene. Okay. Uh, okay, I have. I guess I have my answer. Yeah, I've got mine. Okay, great. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Act Four. I also was going with Act Four. Ooh, it's Act Three. Act Three, Scene One. Oh, oh I, see, I, I, knew, I knew it was Scene One. I remember it being at the beginning of an act, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, couldn't that's remember a where that went. real deep dive question on that, but uh, <laughs> but that's quite all right. Um, so yeah, I don't know how the points were. Kyle, you got more right. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know how you want to do it. All right. I, th- I think Kyle is at 2000 points to my 600. Um, that was what it was before this last question. So yeah, I think oh, that, that can... yeah, we have, we have, we have not traditionally deducted for great for, for uh, incorrect. Yeah. I think that's the goodness. If we could only just live that way on real jeopardy, but, um, <laughs> right? but great. That sounds good. So, okay. So we're at Kyle with 2000 and Emily with 600 and our final mm-hmm. jeopardy category is food and drink. Oh. Okay, I'm going to wager everything. Uh, so am I. Ooh. <laughs> That's not a cover bet, Kyle. <laughs> All right. It is if I get it right. All right. So on the theme, <laughs> if you've had a hard day and really need some caffeine, in Italiano, you can order this, a double shot of espresso. All right, I'm locked in. I oh I have I have absolutely no reference for this. No I, I say my answer until you've until you've uh I mean uh, yeah I've Do you want to hear I'll the clue? Just give, Do you want to hear the clue? I'll again? give my incorrect answer and just based on like a I don't I don't even know like a, Italian for double I guess would be doble. Uh, mine is doppio. Dopio is correct. Ah. Yay! Dopio espresso. So we have, I think, I mean, I don't know how you wager at the end. Kyle wagered everything and lost, and then Emily wagered everything wagered and everything. ended up with twelve hundred. Congratulations, Emily! Yay! Yay. Uh, thank you for a fun uh. quiz, Lauren. Yeah, I, I hope that was yes. all right. It was uh, double it act. No, it was very good. That was fun. That was awesome. I liked that. Good category. Thank you. Thank you. And and yeah. good dive. Yeah, you mean y'all y'all? If you're stuck at home, just watch some comedy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it just warms the heart. There's a lot of it, as yeah. you could tell. I named about fourteen hundred different duos. So, <laughs> and those were only so those we... were only ones in English because I just I, I apologies to uh, please please uh, in the comments let us know uh, other comedy duos. I'm sure there are in in uh, throughout the mm-hmm. world. So. I'd love yeah. to see all of that. Um, it can be hard for comedy to translate, you know, just. You it know. can. Yeah. And I think that's part of it, like the the part of what I think, you know, English is uniquely suited to so much misunderstanding because we have so many homophones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, other languages do too. I certainly, I just don't know them as well, but, uh, but we have so many. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I teach, yeah. Eng- I teach English and I, all of the time my students, you know, make spelling errors or things like that. And I tell them, it's, it's not you, it's English, right? Why is read spelled the same way as read? You know, uh, it makes no sense. Yep. 
So, but it's great fodder for comedy. Yep. All right. right. Well, thank you for being with us, Lauren. Oh, you're most welcome. A delight. A real bright spot in this whole situation. Yeah. Thanks for having (laughs) me. It gives me something to do in Manhattan. Because there is notably never anything to do in Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, it's the city that uh, sleeps a little right now. That's really where we're at. Uh, I think that's that's kind of the situation we're in. It's just it's have not... people sort of grasped that they're supposed to stay stay in and like gotten off yeah, the darn streets. I mean, yes, people have, but it's it's certainly not everyone. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I went for a walk today because it was nice out, and I just didn't touch people. You know, but yeah, um, a walk is fine. Just give everybody a wiper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's definitely it's it's definitely much 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 less crowded, but you know, it's we're very densely populated here. So, um, you know, there the restaurants are still open, things are still open because I it's certainly it's it's gonna be a hard hit for a lot of people a lot of my friends are um comedians and artists and uh you know broadway's closed a lot of that so it's um it's tricky it's really tricky because you want to try to figure out a way to to work remotely mm-hmm. yeah but we'd, we'll just do what we can watch comedy indoors that's what i right. will endorse that is my plan up here in uh the hot spot of westchester i think you all just passed us and and count uh, yeah lots of comedy we're gonna need lots of comedy and you brought us comedy so thank you yes it Uh, was such a delight yeah uh listeners um we would love for you to check out our patreon page we're at potent potables and we've got different membership levels um uh from three dollars on up all levels get access to our bonus content and hey if we're stuck inside for a long time i bet we will be bringing you some bonus content Yes, we will. TBD. <laughs> um, I hope more pun-based trivia. Maybe I'll learn how to editing and take some of this <laughs> off of Kyle's plate. Uh, sure, yeah. why not? Um, either way, uh, even if you, even if Patreon isn't something you can necessarily uh, be a part of right now, we still thank you for listening. Uh, and you can still help us out by subscribing and reviewing on whatever whatever medium you are using to listen to our podcast. And of course you can always tell your friends because maybe they're looking for something to listen to in this uh, just really extended vacation. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say post-apocalyptic wasteland, but yes, extended vacation. We'll go with that. Uh, Um, Tomato, tomato. (laughs) Uh, And certainly if if you have kids uh, or even if you don't have kids uh, and you want to occupy them with something that's super fun and funny, you can check out the Story Pirates podcast. There are three whole seasons. It's uh, anywhere you can get podcasts. And it's, I, I promise you parents that it is something you actually would like to listen to. It's, it's, uh, it's super fun and it's based on kids' stories and we have activities on our website that will help guide you to helping your child write their own story and possibly submit it to Story Pirates. So it's a great thing to do if you are inside. We have lots of online content coming your way as well. So those of you who are Jeopardy listeners uh, with uh, kids, check out Story Pirates. My kids are going to have listened to all three seasons before the week is out. Oh, Um. they will love it. They're songs, y'all. We have albums. We have their books. It's, It's a whole thing. I'm really excited to check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very comedic, and uh, you will see many of the principles of comic duos uh, portrayed in lots of the content that we've made. Uh, Nice. It just occurred to me that my 
kids' favorite podcast features a comic duo. Um, Ooh, which one? Yeah. Wow in the World. We've been on Wow in the World. Oh, nice. Yeah, Story Pirates has been on Wow in the World. And we have, yeah, Lee, we have our, our hosts. We have four hosts. It's Lee, Lee and Peter um, and Megan and Rachel. Uh, but there are some comic duo bits in there as well. But yeah, we've been on Wow in the World as well. Yeah. Nice. All right. I should I should plug our social media. Uh, we're on Facebook at Potent Potables. Uh, we're on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Um, you can find us on the web at potentpod.com and our email is potentpodablescast at gmail. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy! recaps and a deep dive and quiz. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.